Welcome to the Clear to Close podcast with our hosts, local mortgage expert Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones, owner of Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. Ryan and Carson have the questions and answers, tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, and expert guests to help explain all the steps needed to buy or sell real estate. And now it's time for the Clear to Close podcast. Hey everyone, Ryan Bolton here, and I've got a special expert guest, Jared Plue with Infinity Title. Known Jared ever since I moved to Southern Utah, used him for a lot of our title work. So I wanted to bring in the expert to kind of talk about a few things, but it's one of those things where I think mortgage companies and real estate agents, they they know much more about what a title company is, but most people don't know what it means. So let's kind of start with that. What is a title company? What is title insurance? Maybe just give us an overview of why a client even needs a title company to do a transaction. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, most of my family still thinks I do mortgages, and I've been doing title for 20 years. So uh, it's something that most people, I mean, the majority of the country has no clue what a title insurance company does. But basically, in a nutshell, I mean, we're we're handling a real estate closing. So if you're purchasing, selling, or refinancing a property, uh, you need a title company. Uh, as the title company, we're going to handle um, all of the funds. So all the funds go to us as the intermediary. And then uh, we handle all the closing documents. We're making sure all the proper documents are signed, uh, recorded with the county. Uh, and then, you know, we disperse all the funds. And then most importantly, we issue the title insurance policy. And that title insurance policy is uh, the guarantee that title's free and clear. Hmm. So basically it... It covers, uh, it covers a lot of things, but mostly it covers our work. So if we do something incorrectly, if we handle funds incorrectly, if we record something incorrectly, we're on the hook. So we have to make sure that, that things uh, are done perfectly, basically, in a real estate transaction. So and it's an insurance, but it seems like it, it doesn't work like it or it doesn't get used as much as like car insurance, home insurance, that type of thing. So really, it's kind of insuring anything that's happening up to that point, not really anything after the transaction, correct? It's anything that previous owners, previous liens, previous uh, mortgage companies that were on that property before a new buyer kicks in, that's kind of what you're cleaning up and making sure all that's reconciled. Yeah, there's some rare exceptions to that. For the, but for the most part, that's the difference between title insurance and auto or home insurance is that uh, it's covering everything up until that date. Okay. Okay. So, um, do you often see a lot of issues with, uh, I see divorces have kicked up a little bit and I see a lot of times where clients are calling me and asking me a question says, well, Hey, can my spouse sell the home without me knowing about it? You know, how, what are the protections that are involved in that? Or what does it take when you do have somebody that's got a co-borrower, whether it's a spouse or a brother or sister, and they are trying to sell or refinance to pay off that person or, or clear off the equity? What's the process to relieve that person off of those debts or to remove them off of title? Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, like if it's a divorce, uh, then the spouse that wasn't awarded the property, they have to sign a deed uh, to remove themselves from title. Um, usually that's happening uh, when the property is sold or when they refinance um, to pay out their, their portion that's due to them. Uh, so everything has to be done. When, when we're talking about title, it's all about public record. So we're only as good as what is recorded with the Washington County Recorder's Office or whatever county it may be in. Uh, and so anytime we, we change title or something with title has to be cleared up, it has to be cleared up with the county. Hmm. And so we're, we're in charge of figuring out what has to be done in order to resolve the issue, what document has to be 
recorded, who has to sign that document, what we're trying to accomplish with the document. We make sure that that document is prepared correctly and then, uh, you know, signed correctly, recorded with the county. Uh, we had, uh, this is maybe going a little bit off topic, but it's a good example of why title insurance uh, is there. One of the things that we cover is forgery or fraud. Mm. And that's not something typically that we can discover in a normal real estate transaction. Um, but we happened to have one just the other day and I'll, you know, keep names and everything out of it because we don't want to go there. But um, basically we discovered through a conversation with the signer, uh, the seller, uh, who was signing on behalf of a trust, uh, we, she had signed, quote unquote, uh, the plat map to divide the property from one into, into two and, um, and some other documents that need to be recorded with the, uh, in conjunction with the plat map being recorded. And, uh, she said, well, uh, I didn't sign that document. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I've been doing this for like almost 20 years and I've never come across this where somebody has said, referring to a recorded document, I didn't sign that document. Oh, wow. Okay. And it, it, it's pretty e it was pretty easy to uh, prove that she didn't sign it because it was notarized in Texas and she lives in Arizona. And she said, I've only been to Texas one time and it was nowhere near that date. Mm. And so we, this was, we discovered this in, in the process of closing a transaction. And so when we discovered that there was a forgery involved on a recorded document, we said, we can't close this deal mm. because if we would have closed it and then it, it came to light after the fact that there was a forged document, um, and then that transaction got unraveled through a court case or whatever the case may be, uh, then we would be on the hook as the title insurance company because we covered that. We covered forgery or fraud. Um, so, you know, there's a couple different ways it could have gone. Either we would have been on the hook for paying all the costs to perfect it, to go back and fix that plaque, get it re-recorded, um, whatever the cost may be in that. Uh, or worst case scenario for us is that that buyer loses the property and we've got to reimburse them all the money that they paid to purchase the property. Yeah. And that's what I've seen when title insurance does kick in, which isn't very often because there's a lot of checks and balances and a lot of things that are done. You know, there's things that fall through the cracks like that, or you'll have somebody that uh, identity theft that says they're a person has documentation that looks like they are. I saw a case where a father son basically had the same name and forged a bunch of stuff for his dad and he didn't know about it. So he sold all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, stuff's going to happen like that, but it seems like when title insurance does kick in, it's big numbers. I mean, the, um, the amount of payout is an entire mortgage or the entire value of a property or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. One of the big things that's happening now is what we call seller fraud, where um, there's a lot of properties across the country that are vacant land. So there's nobody, it's, there's no home on the property. There's no one living there. There's no one occupying it. And so we'll have uh, fraudsters that will impersonate the seller. So mm -hmm. they'll, they'll find properties. Um, I know of a case that happened in Kanab, just not far from here. I know of one that happened in Park City. Um, and there's, I'm sure, tons of others that have happened in Utah that almost happened that I'm not aware of. But basically, the fraudster finds a property that's vacant land. They contact a local real estate agent and say, hey, I'm uh, Joe Blow. I want to sell my property. Okay, great. Let's list it. And they list it. Well, Joe Blow is, is uh, supposedly in, let's just say, Texas. And so everything gets signed remotely. It's all done through DocuSign. 
um, and they list the property, they get it under contract, they go to closing to sell it. And um, they, it gets difficult when they go to closing because there's documents that have to be notarized. So theoretically they have to um, sign in front of a notary, uh, notary public. And so they have to, if they pull it off, they have to get a notary public involved in the fraud. Um, but in, in these two cases that I'm aware of, I mean, the one in Canab, it was like a $80,000 lot and they closed it. And, uh, the buyer discovered after the fact that they didn't own that property because the person that sold the property didn't actually own the property. Mm. And that title company had to reimburse the buyer. Mm. So, and it's not like, you know, you have a year or two to come up with the 80 grand. It's like, no, I want my money right now. Right, and so that right, title right. company's got to come up with the money. And then we're left to pick up the pieces after the fact. The one that happened in Park City, it was like a $500,000 lot. Mm. And in that case, it was crazy because the the fraudster actually sold the property twice. So oh, they got wow. it. They had wow. two different agents. They got it under contract with two different buyers. They set it up. They made sure the closing was going to happen uh, on the same day. Um, because what, what happens when we go to do a closing, we do a, what we call a date down. And so initially we do a title search and we search the property from patent, which is the beginning of the life of that property up until the day that we do that search. But that's typically done at the time the property goes under contract. So right, it's like, right. a, let's say a month before the closing actually occurs. And so when we go to the day of closing, we do a date down. So we complete the search from the day we searched it originally up until the day of closing to discover anything new that's been recorded. Right. And so you can see stuff, mechanicals, mechanics liens can pop up. You can see spouses or ex-spouses or something can pop up or a second mortgage. There's stuff that kind of yeah. pops up when that, when you do that. Same thing we do with credit reports. We'll pull a credit report at the beginning and right before we close, we do one final check, see if they had a new debts, lost their job. There's just always these last little checks right before you close, yeah. which usually catch. It's amazing how much can get caught in that 30 day window. Yeah. And sometimes the things that you catch that you find are inconsequential, but sometimes it's a big deal. Yeah. In this case in park city, it was the first transaction went through, it closed. And then the second one did that date down and like, wait, what's this deed? You just sold the property. And wow. so the second one didn't go through. So it's just a timing thing. They must have signed early enough, recorded enough, and they just happen to catch it. Because usually it's, you know, if you're closing that afternoon, you did the morning. If it's the next morning, you did it the day before. So, yeah, that's got to be pretty much coordinated to do it at the same time. So yeah. um, it, it's important, I think, also to people realize that whether you're getting a mortgage or not, whether you're for sale by owner or not, whether you're an agent, anything, use a title company. You want that that person in the middle to handle the funds, to handle these types of things, and make sure you're the only owner. So even if you don't have a mortgage where you have lender's insurance, there's still an owner's policy to make sure that all owners and all liens are removed, even if it's free and clear, or you're for sale by owner, or selling to a family member, any of those things. You really do want the title company involved just to make sure the title is as clean as what you expect it to be when you actually change ownership. Yeah, really the only time that we see a, a, a transaction, you know, buyer, seller, selling a property, purchasing property, where there isn't title insurance is when it's family. But he, even in, when it's family, like you're saying, it's it's just a better idea to get a title uh, company involved, get a title insurance policy. I mean, I know it can be expensive, you know, so like for a $500,000 uh, sales price, you're looking at like $2,000 um, for the title fees to do that. But, but at least you have that peace of mind. And, you know, the last person you want to go after if, they're, after if there's an issue is your dad or your mom. Right, right. So, you know, get that third party involved and, and just, you know, do it legit and okay. 
have that protection. Now, we also brought some flyers today or some slides today that we want to go over on some of the market data. And I think you were mentioning, and that's kind of what started uh, to want to bring you in, that you saw a report about Utah interest rates that also kind of plays out in some of the slides we're going to talk about. So, kind of mention what you talked about when it comes to interest rates that the average Utah has. Yeah. So, there was a, a study that just came out that Utah is number one on this list. And at nine, 93% of homeowners that have a mortgage in Utah are sitting on an interest rate or they have an interest rate that's 5% or less. Or less, yeah. Now, today's yeah. rates are what? We're seven and a half, eight, kind of that, that range, yep. So, 3% less than what the going rate is, uh, 93%. So, almost everybody that has a mortgage in Utah has a, has a rate that's way less than what the going rate is right now. And that has a huge impact on the number of transactions that are happening uh, in Utah. Um, we experienced a huge um, downturn uh, just over a year ago, maybe last July, August, in the number of transactions that are happening. And so what's happening is that it's, it's affecting supply and demand because now demand has gone down a lot because interest rates are so high. So you have first-time home buyers or anybody really that is like, I don't want to buy a house right now because I don't want an 8.5% interest rate or 8% interest rate. And so they're just sitting tight. Well, the other side of that is you have sellers that are saying, I, I want a bigger house. I want a smaller house. I want to live on this side of town, um, but I don't want to give up my 3% interest rate to get an 8% interest rate just to get the house that I want. I'm just going to wait. Right. And so we have a downturn in supply. We have a downturn in, in demand. And so what, what's really happened is the number of transactions have gone way down, but the home values have stayed pretty steady. Right. Because home values are determined by supply and demand. Right. If they're equal to each other, then home prices stay put. Yeah, it's interesting. The idea of raising the rates was to slow down demand so supply could catch up. But we're actually seeing supply even drop even further than the demand. So we're still seeing home prices staying where they are because there's just not a lot to choose from. So what are the actual numbers in Washington County? I think you have a slide here in slide number one that actually shows the median sales price that we haven't seen a major crash. We haven't seen this major correction because of the fact that there's just less homes to choose from. And whether it's cars or gum or anything, the, the biggest driver of price is going to be supply versus demand. Yep. And we still have so much more demand to move to the area, to move to Utah, than we do the supply that's keeping up with it. So uh, it's really, I, I really thought this slide was really helpful of actual Washington County data for all the way back to January 2020, uh, to, uh, 2014, up through October. So really accurate current data. A couple spikes like we were thinking we were going to see, but not this major correction or major crash that everybody was forecasting for 2023. Yeah. So you see on there, that goes all the way back to 2014. And we experienced, that was, we had the last downturn from 2008 down to 2012. We experienced a huge uh, decline in home values. And then from that point on, we've had just steady increase over that time in the median sales price. And then on that graph, you can see that from June of 2022 to January of 23, there was a huge downturn. So it was almost uh, close to $100,000 decrease in the median sales price. But then from that point on, it stayed, I mean, pretty steady. So we had this, this reaction to interest rates where demand uh, went way down and supply kind of stayed up. And so the home values came down during that time. But then from that point on, um, they've really stayed steady. I mean, this year, 
depending on the segment, the market segment you're in, you know, you might see an increase or a decrease a little bit, but overall values are staying pretty steady. Right. So let's uh, let's go to slide number two, too, because I think this also shows our months of inventory, which really shows that it's it isn't skyrocketing. And, and that's the idea. They don't want things to go completely crazy. But whenever they do things with rates, you were expecting more of a move than than what we thought. But it, that's why it just shows it's not 2008. I see so many YouTube videos right now that are just hitting on the fact that there's a 30 percent correction that's going to happen. And I really don't see that happening in the actual numbers, which is a good thing. You know, it, a lot of it. They always pick up the biggest number they can find, too. You know, maybe most of the reports out there are 10 percent, then the one that says 30, everybody picks up on the 30 percent downturn. I saw a really good video that that did talk about why they think it's like 08 and all these numbers and all these charts and all this kind of stuff. But really, you got to look at supply and demand. You've really got to look at how many homes we even have on the market and how the, like you said, the existing homes aren't getting added. Foreclosures aren't getting added. So what inventory is getting added is builders, and they're not just building like mad. They're not building like crazy. They're waiting for a buyer. They're waiting for maybe a couple model homes. But generally, they're not just out there building 20 homes all at once. They've slowed down as well because they saw the writing on the wall. So I think that's why you saw that kind of a spike because it was such a big increase in rates, but how it bounced back quicker than they thought and how it's actually been pretty stable. Yeah. A lot of that correction did happen with new construction. Uh, like you said, the, the builders are being very, very responsible and very, very cautious. But last year in June, um, they just got stuck with a lot of inventory. So they were going gangbusters, just building as much as they could. And it's shifted so much because it, it, back in the day, you know, builders go back and forth. So they'll, they'll pre-sell everything. So they want to have a buyer before they even start construction on that property. And then they'll go to uh, we're 100% speculation. So we're building a house. Once it's done, then we'll put on the market. We don't care what the buyer wants. We're going to build what we want. And there's enough mm -hmm. buyers that they'll just buy it. And so they flip-flop a lot on that. And so they were in that. They were in the the wave of just building by speculation. We're building it. And then when it's done, we'll, we'll put it up for sale. I even and, saw times where they were canceling contracts so they could sell it for more than oh, the contracts yeah. that they had. So they just started building as much as they could. And, and I mean, they're on top of this stuff too. They, they kind of slowed down quicker than, than probably in years past because they were knowing that things were going to change at any moment. The rates were going to go up. Yeah. Nobody anticipated, I think them going up as quickly as they have, or maybe that they are supposed to go back down, but it is something where, the builders aren't doing the spec building, like you're saying. They really are waiting for a buyer to come in before they start building. And St. George is one of those areas that always has more of a demand of newer homes than pre-existing. It is something where we're a growing community, a lot more influxes coming out of the area. And I'm amazed how many people come into this area and think it's amazingly affordable, air quality, the just the, the scenery. There's just so many things about this that is such a huge value from the places that they're coming from. But then you look at the locals going, boy, we're getting priced out. You see it in Palm Springs. You see it in some certain areas where the workforce and the locals are having a harder time than all the people that want to move to this area. But new builds are always going to outpace existing sales. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, St. George and Utah, for that matter, is just always going to be a place where people want to come. And so we're always going to have a struggle keeping up with demand hmm. because of the just the influx of in-migration into Utah and into St. George. I mean, g going back to that graph, I mean, if we're looking at oh, inventory, yep. okay. uh, so just to kind of explain it, so this is months of inventory. And so it's basically saying, okay, I put my home on the market. Um, how many months is it going to take to sell it? And so over the last, from 2014 until now, I mean, we've, we've gone up and down between uh, nine months to uh, one month. 
Um, but going just in the recent history, there was a period uh, during COVID basically is when it was when inventory was extremely low. Well, what was happening during that time? That's when we, prices were going through the roof um, because inventory was so lo so low. So demand was far greater than supply at that time. And then uh, you can see in, in late, mid-2022, inventory skyrocketed. Well, that's exactly when home values went down. Mm. And so months of inventory and median sales price are directly correlated with one another. As inventory goes up, sales price goes down and vice versa. And so that's where this graph is kind of helps us see, you know, how those play into each other. Yeah. And you can see that there is this spike everybody anticipated, but it wasn't as much as they thought. And it's leveled off. If anything, it's already starting whatever correct, correct, uh, correction from any crash that was even per, uh, like anticipated in 2023. And it just shows you how resilient supply and demand is, even against interest rates. We have interest rates as high as they've been for 20 years, but it's something that that it still is a supply and demand that affects the price of the home more than the interest rate. But I see that what's going to happen is because of the same thing happened during COVID, where all of a sudden demand shot up and inventory couldn't keep up, we're going to have a similar thing if rates do happen to drop. Yeah. So if we see rates drop and it gets to the point where it's that six, and if six is in front of the number, even 6.99999, you know, if it gets to that six number, the people that are at three, the people that are at four might finally start saying, okay, now it is time to maybe upgrade. Yeah. Now I can bite the, you know, I can justify going up to that point. So there's a psychology, there's a psychological element to it. And then all of a sudden a bunch of inventory is going to pop up. You know, and demand's going to probably outshoot that inventory even more, and all of a sudden there's going to be four homes on the market, and everybody's going to be competing with them again. So it really shows how I think history is going to look back at that pandemic of the reaction to it is going to be way more damaging than what the actual pandemic was. We're already starting yeah. to hear rumbles of that, that our reaction to it. We're even seeing politicians and certain things starting to apologize or ask to apologize for their reaction to it because we are finding the reaction to it still is playing out in the housing market, in the supply chains, in the political world. I mean, so many things yeah. are still playing out because of the pandemic. Yeah. And I see we're going to have kind of a, you know, that the bubble, this mini crash, probably another mini bubble. And then maybe we'll start seeing some normalcy. Some normalcy. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, in my opinion, like what we're experiencing now is absolute 100% best case scenario mm. because we needed a correction to happen. Like we need to slow down. We because that, of yeah. COVID, like yeah. things got so out of control. The cost to build was high. Everything cost way too much and home values went way up. So there needed to be a correction and the correction that we've experienced. Yeah. We had a, we had a, we had a downturn um, in home values for a short, like a six-month window um, is what we saw in Washington County. But from there, it's kind of stayed steady. And so if, if, if we can go, I mean, I'm, I'm hurting because I'm doing a lot less transactions and that's how I make money is volume. Uh, but if we can go another year or, or so of just kind of this level where home values aren't really going up, they're not really going down, they're just staying put to where everything can catch up with it then I, you know, I think that's best case scenario. I agree. And I think that's the idea of some of these corrections is not having crashes, giving time for things to kind of just filter themselves out or really let the supply catch up. Cause there's still so many areas in the economy that the demand's still more than supply. There's still too much money kind of chasing too few of goods and that's, what's raising up the price. So it is something, and we've got the political climate right now with an election year on top of it all again, just like the election year happened during the COVID stuff, just, just kind of turned everything up to 11, where if it was just another year, it wouldn't have been as big a deal. Now we still got this. So I think it's a lot of wait and see. Like you said, there's just a lot of wait and see that's going to happen in 2024, but it's good to see that St. George, 
and I always say this all the time, real estate's local. What's happening here is better than I'm seeing in other areas because it's such a great place to live. The prices are still affordable. I know locals might hear, oh, that's crazy. Homes are way not affordable. But when you look at where the other affordability indexes are, St. George is still one of the most affordable places and one of the best places to live in the West, if not the whole country. Yeah, you know, So it is something where it's gotten on the map. A lot of people are still coming. They're going to keep coming. And they still see the value of it. So the demand is still always, like you said, really going to be there. Then all of a sudden, if the rates do drop, the demand kicks up even more. And once again, we're in the situation where we don't have the inventory to catch up with it. So I agree. If we can just have a little bit of time to let these policies and just kind of let these things simmer, it'll just be a softer landing up or down. You know, it won't be this yeah. raise up or this really mad, massive crash down. Yeah. And like you said, when rates go down and, and everybody has a different number, right? Everybody's yeah. got, whether they realize or not, there's a number in their head of like, okay, when rates get to this point, that's when I'm going to do something. Mm -hmm. Right. And so my only hope is that when that happens, when that number happens for buyers where they're saying, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on something. There's a, there's a seller in the wing saying I'm the same thing, right? Mm. I'm going to put my home on the market, but I think you're right. I think the demand will always outpace the supply when rates go up, but hopefully there's enough influx in supply to where we don't see a huge spike in values. Cause we really, we really don't need values to go up right now. That's true. Well, uh, Jared is one of the local experts here. He is with infinity title. If you need any help with title work, if you are a buyer seller, if you're a real estate agent, I really recommend Jerry. He's one of the better closers, knows his stuff, been in Southern Utah. He's a native. He's a born local dude. I mean, we outnumber, him. We, we outnumber him. So thanks for having me. I'd love to have you back on. So if you have another chance, let's get you back on. Sounds great. Appreciate great. it. This has been the Clear to Close podcast with Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones. Please submit your comments, questions, and topics for future episodes to cleartoclosepod at gmail.com. That's clear the number two, closepod at gmail.com. Or findmyhomeutah.com or ryanbolton.com. Please like, follow, and share. And until next time, this is the Clear to Close podcast. Views expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Patriot Home Mortgage or Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. License number NMLS 299717. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.